You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. Welcome back to Mining Stock Education. I'm your host, Bill Powers, speaking today with my friend, Brian Lenny of JuniorStockReview.com. Brian, welcome back onto the show and thanks for uh, joining me. You've joined me a couple times last year with our chats with Rick Rule, but this time I'd like just your thoughts. And let's start with what's going on geopolitically and how that's affecting the commodity sector. So with uh, NATO's war against Russia and the whole Russia-Ukraine conflict, we're seeing oil spike, we're seeing palladium spike, we're seeing nickel spike, even silver and gold have risen significantly. Nickel spiking as much as 60% in the last day, which is uh, quite insane. So I'm seeing a lot on social media about the opportunities that are out there in commodities and how this could spark a super cycle in commodities. But I know how you look at things. You're an engineer. You analyze both sides of it. So could you talk to me about some of the risks that you see for investors out there as a result of what's occurring? Uh, Thanks for having me, Bill. Yeah, I definitely see two sides to the current situation. Um, There's definitely an opportunity when you see metal prices rise. You know, obviously that flows down into the junior companies, and there's there's obvious upside potential. Uh, But what often gets missed is the downside, and you know the reasons why those metal prices are spiking, and kind of how that kind of trickles into the the rest of the global financial system and and market in general. Um, You know, the sanctions against the Russians um, have big consequences when it comes to commodities, and you know. The, the metal, the metals and oil. And you're seeing exactly what happens when you cut those off or potentially cut those off from the rest of the world. And uh, you bring up nickel, nickel's uh, price action has been crazy. Um, I, you know, I, I thought we were going to see higher nickel prices, but I didn't think we we're going to see them this soon. Um, and I think it was, it was over $20 per pound, you know, earlier today. And, um, you know, the highest point in nickel that I think I've was but $24 and that's about 10 or 15 years ago. And again, I thought we would see it, but I never thought we'd see it within a week. And um, so we, when you see something like that, obviously the Russians have a huge impact on the nickel market. Nor Nickel uh, obviously is is a global company that has supplies. I think it's between five and 10% of the global supply. And it's most importantly on the sulfide side of things. Um, for those that don't know, the, the global nickel market is around 2 million tons, you know, plus or minus a few hundred thousand. Um, and the sulfide portion of that, or like the first class nickel portion of that is about half of that. And, you know, so nor nickel makes up 10% of the global supply, but the, you know, they probably translate more into 20% of the sulfide mix. Um, so, you know, obviously, you know, the market is reacting to this, this change. Uh, I think the big question becomes, you know, We've talked about this before. People want to invest in junior companies uh, because the metal price is going up. And the problem is, is there's so many other risks sort of with junior sort of associated with junior companies that you know you can you can ride this wave and and make some money on the metal price appreciation. Uh, but the other side to it is you still have to depend on management, the jurisdiction that the company is located in, uh, whatever development work they're going to do. Like if they're exploring for nickel, they actually have to find it. If they don't, that share price will come right back down. Um, so there's a there's a plethora of other risks that are associated with the junior companies. 
typically if you're in my view if you're bullish on a metal you know you buy the metal which isn't easy to do <laughs> when it comes to like uh, some of the base metals uh but there are some pure nickel producers that i think where you could probably get some good um leverage off the nickel price and maybe not take on as much risk as some of the juniors um but definitely like you said there's there's risk that comes um with these huge spikes and i really I really wonder if it's sustainable. You know, the market is pretty amazing at uh, leveling itself out. And so, you know, a, a big price drop from here may even be compounded with the juniors that, you know, people sell off and get scared. One other thing um, that I would say is, well, I'm very bullish on the metals and I think, the, you know, the metal price appreciation is good. In the interim, we don't, I think, it'd be interesting to see what actually happens with the market in the next couple of weeks leading up to the fed interest rate announcement mixed in with this war. Um, typically, you know, the, the broader market is, is down a percent and a half or they were before we were talking typically in these market meltdowns we saw in 2020, the rest of the market goes with it <laughs> to a certain degree. And in March, 2020, we saw the whole thing kind of collapse and then gold did come out of it and probably led the way for the most part. And then the broader market recovered. So my, my other point is this, is that, you know, we could see in the short term, a big correction across the board. Um, and then that leads, you know, to this next big hike across the board in across the commodities, but it's hard to say which will come first. And, uh, for me, I'm, I'm basically fully invested in the companies that I think are the best anyways. And so, uh, you know, it's interesting to follow this kind of stuff, but I tend not to react, you know, either way. Brian, in my portfolio, and I believe in your portfolio, it's similar. The foundation is physical precious metals within my own control and after that, I go I jump right into speculation. You know, I don't have any blue chip <laughs> stocks whatsoever in my portfolio. I don't even have really blue chip producers in my fo- portfolio. It's all speculative and a ton of warrants that hopefully someday, maybe in the next three years, will be worth something. So I bring that up to say, you know, when you see grains go crazy, when you see fertilizers go crazy, when you see oil, even uh, like the guy across from the pump when I'm pumping oil this last week makes a comment to me about the oil price. Like people are really starting to get ticked off and they're starting to get a little worried because things are costing so much. Does it cause you to rethink your weighting of physical precious metals in your portfolio? Sure. It does. <laughs> you know, it's, it's one of those things that it's, it's a constant, um, constant balancing act, I think. And it depends on what's going on in the world. Uh, like if you would have asked me last year, I would have said, yeah, you know what, as a percentage, I'm pretty comfortable with the amount of precious physical precious metals I have. And, and maybe the other point is where they are, <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's a whole other conversation. Um, but uh, yeah, but then you, you get into the context and what's kind of happened in Q1, especially, you know, I'm Canadian, what has happened in Canada, regardless of political ideology, you have a government that, you know, froze um, assets, you know, bank assets of people uh, because of their, their ideology. And what that says is that any government at any time can freeze your electronic assets. And to me, you know, it's pretty scary, even though if you would again, ask me last year, I would have seen that coming, but I would have, I was still more comfortable because I think it wasn't actually happening. And then it happens. And then I say to myself, wow, like, I, I should probably have more of my wealth outside of the system. And here's the thing. I think that a lot of precious metals investors probably think the same thing. Uh, but, you know, we are still, the precious metals market is so small that we're well ahead of probably 98% of the population out there. And that's not necessarily a 
good thing. But in terms of price appreciation, I think there's a huge potential for those prices to move once people start realizing, as you said, you know, these commodity prices are going up. The inflation that we saw, um, I think, again, last year, if you would have asked me, I, I saw some of the reasons why people were saying the inflation was transitory. I could, I could see some of the deflationary effects and I wasn't sure on how that was going to balance out. So, but I did see kind of both sides. Now with what's happened with, you know, with the, the war with the Russians and the Ukraines, um, I think that, you know, more supply chains are going to be decimated. And I don't know how they repair themselves, especially in this, this world we're living in. It's going to take some time. So I'm more convinced than ever that we're going to see higher prices ahead. And whether that's, you know, gets ramped up really quick or whether we just keep on growing at, you know, seven to 10%. And that's, you know, CPI, which is a terrible number. Um, but, you know, it's still double digit inflation is significant and it has the potential to destroy a lot of people's wealth. And again, I think that people are going to flock back to precious metals and I'm sure well, everybody who's invested in precious metals will hope or wish they had more as they see that price go up. But just remember that you're well ahead of probably the 98% of the people out there and uh, your wealth will be protected to a certain degree. So. There's people that listen to this show from all over the world, but you and I are based in North America. You're in Canada. I'm in Michigan. And I want your perspective on investing in Canadian or North American mining companies that have projects or production in Russia. So for example, we saw Kinross and they shut down their Russian gold mine, which was a huge chunk of their production. So the value of Kinross is going to drop dramatically. And just with whether you buy the full Western narrative about Putin in Russia or not, just the force of that narrative and the, the ESG requirements and, oh, you're doing business in Russia. Oh, your projects are in Russia. Oh, you're too friendly with the Russian government. Just a lot of companies will not want to fight that narrative. And so yep. they just won't go to Russia or they're shut down their, their Russian projects. What risk is there from an investor standpoint? Now we're not political commentators, but from an investment standpoint, what risk are in Russia? Or are you just complete avoid at this point? Uh, there's definite risk in Russia, 100%. That said, you know, there's some companies that are going to be selling at a discount because of that exposure. Now, um, I would say it a lot depends on your wealth and when you need to realize a profit. I think for people that have a lot of money, have a long time horizon, um, the risk is probably not as, it's probably overblown. It, to some degree, because um, those companies are selling at such a discount now that you know there is opportunity there. But the other side to it is, who knows when this thing is going to be finished? You know, how, and even if even if the Ukraine portion or the war is over, what sanctions are going to be held after? You know, what that part of the world is going to actually look like? And um, I think there's so much opportunity in the rest of the market. To me, anyways, it's not risk that I'm looking for. <laughs> you know, I think you can take on jurisdictional risk in other countries and get a discount to value um, and not have as big a question marks because I think the question marks surrounding the Russia specifically are quite big and they could be potentially quite severe. Um, so unless you have big pocketbook, a big portfolio, and you've got the ability to, you know, have a long time horizon, I think it's something that you want to stay away from, at least right now, until there's maybe a clear picture of what's ahead. And how does this affect you? You're not a trader. You invest for fundamentals. You don't invest for the commodity price. You've made that clear in several, several over several years. You've said that multiple times. 
But when you get a spike like this, like a 60% spike in nickel in a day, you know, <laughs> do you trim a position and then buy it back with the expectation you're going to buy it back? Or how, do you play that a little, Brian, as a swing trader? I, you know, honestly, I don't have a set guideline for it. It's, it's so situational right now. It sort of makes me nervous because that, but I do see both sides of the play. Like I can see how the nickel market is absolutely going to be affected if Russia's cut out of, you know, the global system. Um, the other side to that is, you know, I've seen how markets can react and what can happen when metal prices spike and, uh, the market is tremendously efficient. So, you know, maybe it doesn't happen this week or next week, but there, there could, you know, uh, nickel seems to seemingly comes out of nowhere and enters the market and evens things out. But um, f- for me, you know, again, I, the, I would sell if, 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 if my company went up 20 or 30% and it was based off nothing but the metal price. And I had questions about the metal price. I probably would take some profit. I'm very apt to take profit. That's one thing that I've learned is that you need to be able to sell. It's probably just as important as where you buy. And the biggest mistake that I hear from my, my readers in general, like when I'm talking to them one-on-one or just general questions, I get emailed to me, people make mistakes on the sell side. You know, they hold up and they think it's only going to go to the moon and then they fall it all the way back down. And unfortunately, I think that the, the general retail investor is more apt to sell at the bottom than at the top, which is unfortunate, but it's kind of how it goes. Um, yeah. And you've shared that about how you believe bag holders are the retailer, retail investors almost all the time. For the most part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You went yeah. to a conference, a virtual conference last week, the, the Red Cloud pre-pre-PDAC conference. And for those that don't know, the PDAC has been uh, historically the world's largest mining conference held about the first week of March in Toronto, but that got pushed back to uh, June because of everything that's going on. But so this pre-pre-conference, you know, what were some of your key takeaways, Brian? Um, You know what I would say? None of the companies were upfront about it, but I would say, and again, this is, it's the timing of it is kind of, interesting like it's right before this big push this week um but i think money is a little bit harder to come by than i would have necessarily thought considering what the last month has looked like for all commodities not just gold yeah well and it was it was mostly gold companies that i was talking to um just out of the 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 interest the meetings that i picked it was mostly gold companies so I, i just i a lot of them had lower treasuries than I would have thought. And in my view, with kind of the work that they were talking about, they absolutely needed to raise more money, but they hadn't. And uh, so I thought that was an interesting point. Um, the other side to it is I saw a lot of like marginal deposits that are going to begin to be promoted. And, um, you know, those can be good, like in a rising gold price environment, they do give you a lot of torque, uh, because, you know, a hundred dollar move means that much more to a company that's right on the margin rather than a company that is profitable at, you know, $800 gold or has a $800, you know, all in cash cost. Um, so I think you're, you know, the investors are going to be seeing more marginal companies. And of course that makes sense. And that's what happens in the bull markets is more and more companies are created and these marginal companies come out. Um, so I, but if you can play them right, and again, you know how to buy and sell and you're comfortable with it. I think there's, there's some opportunity, but I think you're going to want to make sure that you're in the the bull where truly are in the bull leg, uh, before you, you again, take on the risk of, of owning a marginal company. Otherwise you always want to stay to the best of the best. And, uh, yeah. 
Best of the best. That's a Rick Rowe quote right there, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Last question, since uh, you haven't been on the show uh, this year in a solo interview, what did you learn? What's a key thing that you learned last year oh. in the markets? Can you... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I'm I'm trying to think. So from a, a, a personal level, it's it still comes down to selling and it comes down to uh still being self-aware and understanding the influences that are causing you to 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 buy or sell or or not sell. Um and I think I needed to sell more. And this is I'm talking about my personal portfolio here. Um I think I made decisions more based out of greed trying to make something happen and maybe didn't hold completely true to my my roots. And that's why I always harp on 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 a few points because I've learned time and time again, you know, my, my biggest enemy, um, is typically myself and, um, I need to, to keep on looking at what's influencing my decisions and, you know, standardizing that approach that I have, um, because that's, what's made me successful and other events can come into your life and impact the way that you see the market, the way you participate in the market. Um, but if you can really standardize your approach, you'll be that much more successful, regardless of all the noise that's happening around you. And, uh, uh, I think anybody can gain from that advice, but that's definitely something that I know that I need to improve on and uh, was definitely a big learning lesson in 2021 for me. Excellent. And your website is juniorstockreview.com. Please remind listeners what they can find there. Yeah. So juniorstockreview.com, uh, I write a premium newsletter. Uh, it's published on a weekly basis and it's basically my thoughts on the market. Um, I have a portfolio, which I rank on a weekly basis and it's got, you know, entry, entry prices and, uh, comments and all company news. And, um, and also I do videos with uh, the companies that are in the portfolio and it's another different way to consume the content, um, of portfolio based companies. And as a way to sell your newsletter, what was your biggest winner last year? Share with listeners, if you could. Uh, biggest winner last year was probably CanStar. The only problem is CanStar went up close to 300%. Um, and then it got caught with the, uh, the ending of the, uh, kind of blowout last quarter. And, you know, a lot of the companies came right back. It's an expiration company, um, with some, some, some great people and they had some good results. Um, but it sort of fizzled out, um, right at the end. But other than that, Anaconda mining was the best. And that, that was actually a 2020 pick that I closed last summer. And that was for around 325%, which is an excellent, uh, gain. Um, but it was a 2020 pick that I closed out in 20. So I don't know if that counts, but that counts. That counts. <laughs> okay. yep. Well, Brian, uh, always appreciate your insights. You've been doing this well over a decade. Uh, thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me, Bill. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10-for-1 returns as there is in small-cap and micro-cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the 
the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident and just do your work as best you can. Do your very best, but don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents, but it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on miningstockeducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.